Proverbs chapter 16. We are uh, going through the book of Proverbs. If you're new with us, uh, we, what, we're, what we've been doing is, is basically doing thematic studies of, uh, of the book. Today we are looking at uh, this, this theme of making right decisions. If you, uh, if you ever have decisions in life that you scratch your head over, then you're not alone, all right? And Proverbs speaks to that. Proverbs is a very practical book. God doesn't just simply tell us what to believe, but He also gives us very practical words. And Proverbs is some of the best. Um, And so we're looking at this. We're going to actually kind of hang out in Proverbs 16 largely today, though we are also going to be jumping around the entire book. Uh, So turn to Proverbs 16. I'm going to read the first nine verses, and uh, then I'll pray and ask God to help us, and then we will get into it. Chapter 16, verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in their heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you help us, uh, give us the understanding of, the, of your word, uh, the truths that are here in this, in this text are far beyond our natural ability to understand, but we believe that you've given us the Holy Spirit to help us, uh, to help us understand uh, your ways, and not simply know them intellectually, but to convict our hearts of the many ways that we have fallen off the path and to restore us, uh, to restore our focus on Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. History is a record of decisions humans have made. For those of you who are historians, think about that. History is a record of decisions which humans have made. Some good decisions, some bad decisions. The decisions, uh, whether good or bad, have often led to either peace or war. Decisions have led to plenty or poverty. And we... Human beings, as decision makers, we make thousands of decisions every day, most of them subconscious. For instance, how did you get here today? Thousands of decisions, little decisions that were made, which brought you uh, to this place right now. We can go back five years and see hundreds of thousands of decisions which you've made, which brought you to the place where you are today. Now, thousands are unconscious decisions. Some decisions that we have in front of us are more conscious decisions, and, and uh, they, it's a matter of wise versus unwise. So, for instance, should I hit snooze one more time? Conscious decision, wise or unwise. Should I buy this car? Conscious decision that we make. And then often we come in life to these, what we could call monumental decisions, all right? Just big, what, I mean, they feel like really big decisions, and they are monumental, and they are big, because how we determine what to do in this situation will, uh, will uh, in the immediate, affect our life. So, for example, should I take this job, or, or should I move? Should I buy this house? Uh, should I quit my job? Should I get married? If so, who should I get married to? I mean, these are all just big decisions that, and we could probably go on with a hundred more examples, but big decisions that we often face, and we, uh, we want to make the decision, but not just make the decision, we want to make a right decision, correct? How many of you would love to make wrong decisions in life? Of course not. We want to make right decisions, 
And we could say this, that when we look back on history, we could say history is, uh, is the record of decisions humans have made, and good leaders have not only made decisions, but good leaders in history have made right decisions more often than not. Now, how might we live our lives? Where are we going to end up in life? How are we going to end up? We have a bunch of decisions to make. What I want to do today is focus on Proverbs and, you know, the, the thousands of unconscious, subconscious, rather, decisions that we make, we've kind of already addressed that in Proverbs. This is where wisdom comes in. This is where we need a new heart. This is where we need a new mind so that we think even our, in our subconscious, we're thinking with God's wisdom and not our own. What I want to focus on today, though, are these, what we could call the bigger decisions in life, all right? These larger decisions, which, which, which are often in front of us and which cause us to sweat bullets sometimes and to scratch our heads at other times and we just we want to make the right decision and we don't know what the decision should be. All right? That's what we're focusing on today and uh, that's, that's how we're going to be looking in uh, the book, book, book of Proverbs. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to introduce you, into, introduce you to some language that we often use. When we're talking about decision making as Christians, we always have to talk about God's will. All right, so, what is, so Jesus prayed, not my will be done, but yours, the Father's. So what is God's will? Uh, and, and as Christians, we want to be about God's will. Now, should we find God's will in order to make decisions? Uh, when I was in, uh, or about to begin college, post-high school, pre-college, I had a big decision in front of me, and uh, the decision was, what college do I attend? I had recently fallen in love with Jesus, and I wanted to please Jesus in every way, and I, uh, what was tormenting me was this question of, where does God want me to go to college? Why it tormented me was because I was trying to find out the answer. God, where do you want me to go? I've got uh, three or four schools in front of me. They all look like good options. Which one do I choose? And I don't, I'm not playing when I said it was tormenting me. I mean, I had this belief that if I chose the wrong one, and now I'm outside of God's will for my life, that my life is pretty much over. And from that point on, I will make a series of mistakes until I die. So how do I know which college to go to? All summer I wrestled with it. I read books about how to find, out, find God's will. Uh, some books said to put out a fleece, all right? If you, if you grew up in the 90s in Christianity, you know what that means? <laughs> it means putting out, like, a, so, so I put a shirt on the ground. Okay, if it's wet in the morning, then that means I'm going to go to this school. It didn't work, all right? I prayed for doors to close. Doors remained open, at least four of them. What do I do? I prayed for, for direction. I asked for signs. There was no writing on the wall. How do I know what school to go to? I was tormented by this decision. I, uh, it was 2, 2 a.m. The, the morning of uh, the day that I'm supposed to be leaving to some school. All right? And all of my schools were out of, out of state. So I had to get in the car and go somewhere the next day. Or just stay home. That's another, <laughs> that's another option. <laughs> Uh, it was 2 a.m., and I was walking the streets practically insane. Didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do because God hadn't told me. <clears throat> All right, so that kind of paints a picture here for, <laughs> for where we're going to go. How do we know what the right decision is? Well, let's... Because we're Christians and we talk about God's will, let's talk about God's will, all right? Let's start, start there. There are uh, uh, two aspects of God's will that I want to be very clear on this morning. Number one is God's will of decree. Number two is God's will of command. Turn to, or you're already there, Proverbs chapter 16. What's striking about the way that Proverbs talks about our decision-making process is, is this. Proverbs basically says, uh, your plans are 
your plans. All right? Uh, look at chapter 16, verse 1. It says, the plans, the plans of the heart belong to man. So your plans belong to who? All right, so God hasn't, God hasn't uh, bought them from you. All right, so we haven't told God what we're going to do. So the plans of a man belong to who? To you. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, which means that when we're just kind of like thinking it through on our own, like it all looks good according to our own eyes. All right, we've got, we've got our plans. This is what I want. This is where I'm going. And I can't see anything else. This is life. This is good. It always looks good in our own eyes. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. So the Lord is not subjective. But the Lord looks at the Spirit and the heart. Let's go on. Look at uh, verse 9. It says, The heart of a man plans his way. But who establishes his steps? The Lord. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Your plans are your plans. The future is in God's hands. Now, this doesn't mean that we should just throw up our hands when it comes to planning and say, well, then therefore I'm not going to plan at all. We are told in Proverbs that even the ants plan, all right? The ants during the summer stay up, store up uh, food for the winter, and so they're planning ahead. So human, you, 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 you creatures who are stronger than the ants, plan, all right? It doesn't mean that we should not plan, but we must remember that your plans and my plans are not sovereign, we live in a culture that is largely defined by this line from a Victorian poem which went like this, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my own soul. We largely, in our culture today, in society, we think of ourselves as the master of our own fate and the captain of our own soul. We make plans and we accomplish our plans and then we bring about the future that we planned to bring about. And then we like to Christianize that, sort of dip that into the Bible and say, uh, well, it's not just my plans, but it's rather somehow getting sort of in tune with the Holy Spirit and hearing what God's plans are for me. And then now God's plans are clearly given to me, become my plans, and now my plans are my own. Does that make sense? Are we tracking here? Maybe I just completely confused you all. Um. We, 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 we believe our plans are more than they are. We believe that our plans are more than, I, that, than they are. We believe often uh, that, that God told me to make these plans, that God told me to do this. And then what happens, and I see this all the time, is we get then frustrated with God when our plans fail. And we say, well, why did God tell me to do that? Well, maybe that was your plan. See, when we plan and then our plans fail and we get frustrated with God or angry with God because our plans didn't go about in the way that we thought they would, we're basically telling God that we would do a better job as God. Don't confuse God's will with your plans. That's basically point number one here in the Proverbs. Don't confuse God's will with your own plans. Even more, chapter 27, verse 1, it says this, do not boast about tomorrow. You do not know what a day may bring. Don't boast about your plans before they have been accomplished. All right, we all know people who love to sit and talk about all of their dreams, and they're going to tell you all of the great things that they're going to do and things that they're going to start. They are dreamers, and they're boasting about the things that have never happened. They're boasting about their plans. They're boasting about tomorrow. The proverb says, look, tomorrow is in whose hands? The Lord's hands, not in your hands. So don't boast about tomorrow. Don't place so much hope in your plans for what tomorrow will hold because you don't yet know what tomorrow will hold. If you've ever had your plans uh, j just completely thwarted and turned, raise your hand. We all have had some plan in life 
not pan out in the way that we thought it would. So therefore, why would we then boast in our plans and in, 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 in tomorrow? Uh, the, the two, two of the biggest decisions I ever made in life was the decision to marry my wife, and I would say probably second to that was the, the decision to start this church. Um, how did I know that it was God's will for me to marry my wife? How did I know that it was God's will? Well, I'll tell you, we got married on May 17th, 2003. On May 16th, 2003, if you would have asked me, Joel, does God want you to marry your wife? I would say, I think so. <laughs> I think, I think. Like, I mean, it seems like the right decision. It seems like the best decision. I've, I've, I've thought about marrying other women. It seems like the best and right decision. How do I know that it was God's will? Well, it's because I got married. It's because we got married. It's because our marriage then produced fruit, and, and she helped me grow in my walk with Christ, and I helped her grow in her own holiness. And we had children, and like good things came out of our marriage, and I can look back and I can say, oh, I see, God wanted me to get married. But I don't think I knew that on May 16th, 2003. But those were my plans. Does that make sense? Are we tracking here? I know I'm probably creating more question marks right now. We're getting somewhere, trust me. Well, same goes for starting this church. How did I know that I felt uh, a sense of calling? I felt like God had equipped me in certain ways and gifted me in certain ways. Uh, I felt a strong desire to do so. I, I felt like it was the best decision. And so I acted. How do I know that it was God's will to start a church? Well, it's because through doing it, God brought, out, brought about fruit. So, yeah, that was... That was, that was good. When we begin to understand God's decree, we have to first look at ourselves and first look at our own plans. Proverbs basically says, says your plans are your plans. This then leads us, though, to the next point in, in looking at God's decree, and that is this, that we can trust in God's providence. So our plans are our plans, but we can trust in God's providence. Look at chapter 16, Verse 33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, what are lots? Lots are sort of like these early, uh, an early form of dice. And so they would use lots to, in the ancient world, make decisions in the same way that our kids do today. My kids do, pay, uh, what is it, paper, rock, scissors. They have a new name for it these days, these, these show Rambo or something like that. Rochambeau. Where did that come from? Probably somebody did this to determine what the new name is going to be, all right? Uh, this is essentially casting a lot. What, what Proverbs is saying here is this. Um, as we are throwing the dice, as we are casting lots, uh, as we are playing Rochambeau or paper, rock, scissors, all right, if you're older than 21, if we're playing these games, we must understand that, that every single outcome is from the Lord. Amen. That he has ordained every single outcome of the roll of the dice. Now, uh, early uh, Christians sort of wrongly applied this, and then big decisions would come along, and they would just say, okay, let's throw the dice, or let's draw some lots, and let's, determine, let's see who... Uh, uh, you know, who's going to be a leader, etc. Probably not wise. Probably not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to say this, that God is sovereign in every minute detail of life. Even when you are playing Monopoly and you roll the dice and you find yourself in jail and you are frustrated and angry because you're now losing God put you there. All right? God is a sovereign God. And he's ordained even the role of the dice. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. He said, I believe that every particle of dust which dances on the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. Meaning God wasn't surprised when Israel rebelled against him in the wilderness. 
God wasn't like taken aback by that and just wringing his hands and wondering, oh, what, what am I going to do, do now if my people rebel against me? God wasn't surprised when he sent his only son, the begotten son of God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, into the world to be the Redeemer and the Messiah. He wasn't surprised when the world turned against Jesus and nailed him to a cross. It wasn't as if God said, oh my goodness, like they're nailing to a cross. What do I do? Oh, I have an idea. I'll use this and I'm going to somehow redeem the world. No, God is not surprised by any of these, any of these things. God, is, God has providence. He is absolutely sovereign in every aspect of our lives and the minute details, which means that kings and, and, and presidents are not ultimately in control. This means that that uh, the, the uh, uh, Kim Jong-un, the dictator, of <laughs> the dictator of North Korea, is not ultimately in control of North Korea. This means that the Ebola virus is under submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, this may sound like determinism. You may say, well, then what's the point of living life? This sounds like determinism. No, it's not determinism. Because God holds every human being responsible and accountable for the decisions that we make. Which means that we, are, we have a, a freedom of our will. However, the problem is this. Our will is enchained to sin. And so we freely then choose sin every time we choose to rebel against God in every aspect of our lives. But Christ was sent into this world to die for our sins and to free us from our slavery to sin, from our, uh, from, from our bondage to our sinful nature so that we might have a faith that is awakened so that we might see Christ and see God as wonderful and glorious so that we might make, might make much of Him through all of our lives. My plea with every one of you, is not to flee from this sovereign God this morning, but rather run to Him and place yourself under the Lordship of His Son, Jesus Christ. And there I promise you, you will find forgiveness. You will find new life. You will find new hope and you will find God to be delightful. So what scripture, where Scripture is clear is, is on God's will of decree that God is a sovereign God and our plans are not sovereign. Secondly, God is also clear in His will of command. Now here's what I mean by this. <clears throat> Often we find ourselves begging God to tell us what to do, all right? Facing college decision, all right? Tell me what to do, all right? We're asking God to give us something more, give us something new, all right? God has never come to me and said, Joel, you know, I gave you, I gave you 66 books of the Bible, and you have mastered them. Like, you, you have you've studied them, you've outlined them, you're, you're faithful to the entire Scripture. Like, you have pretty much consumed and devoured this book, all right? So since I didn't give you enough, let me just give you one more little nugget of information that you need for your personal walk. He's never done that for me. The word that I receive from the Holy Spirit is always to go back to the book. What does God say? What is, what, how has God revealed Himself to us? What promises has God given to us in His Word? What promises can we rest in? What, what do we know to be the truthful life? Well, let's talk a little bit. There's, there's a lot of different ways we could go with this. Um, a lot of different examples uh, that we can give. But let me just point out a couple from Proverbs of God's will of command. Things that we, like, we know to be true because God has revealed them to us and He has commanded us to live in certain ways. Number one, God has commanded that we are to be a people of prayer. We should be a people of prayer. Look at verse 3 of chapter 16. It says, commit your work to the Lord. Now everybody say, roll. 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 
Everybody, not just Tony, come on. Roll. Roll, as in Roll Tide Roll, if you're an Alabama fan. There we go. Now you know what I'm talking about. Commit, commit is this word, roll. Roll your work onto the Lord, which is more of a fall than it is a leap. You see what I'm saying? It's more of a letting go of. It's more of a dropping. It's a rolling. And this happens through our prayer life as we roll our work onto the Lord. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. Prayer is, is, is the believer linking their heart with the heart of God. Prayer is the believer pleading with God and asking God. Prayer is, is, is us uh, making our desires known to God. Prayer is enjoying God. And prayer is rolling all that we do onto God. Committing all that we do to God. So roll, it says, your work to God. God wants me, through prayer, to ask Him to help me understand my heart. As I, as I consider my work, as I consider my desires, as I consider the things that I'm doing, the things that I want to do, God, don't just simply tell me what to do, but help me understand my own heart. In prayer, we ask God to reveal not necessarily the future, but our motives as to how we are thinking about our work, how we are thinking about our life. In prayer, we, we ask God to root out any selfishness that might, be, uh, that might be inside of this decision that we are about to make. That we, we ask God to remove from us any fear of man that might be driving us in the way that we are thinking. We ask God to remove any sense of man-centeredness in our decisions. We then, through doing so, we are rolling our work into the hands of God, and it says that He then will establish your plans, which means that as we move forward, our mind will be easy. We will trust the Lord. We will have a quiet wait on the Lord. Prayer is realizing that we have access to the Father and it is communing with Him. Friends, do you realize what prayer is? Do you realize that you have access to the Creator of this world? Do you realize that every time we are praying to God that Christ is interceding for us and Christ is our mediator? We cannot go before a just and holy God without a mediator. I could never stand before God and, and, and even dare to approach His throne room and ask Him of, of anything without a mediator, without Christ covering me, my sins, my righteousness coming from Him so that I can now go boldly before God and approach His throne. Friends, if you don't have Christ as your mediator this morning, Oh, cry out to God and ask Him to give you Christ. Plea with Him. And you will find that God gives you a mediator and you can access the throne room of God through Christ. We are to be a people of prayer. That is revealed in the Scriptures. That is very clear to us. And so let's just simply agree, we should be praying. Do you have a life of prayer? Is your life marked by by wrestling with God early in the mornings and falling into Him in prayer. As, our, as, as a church, as we gather on Sundays and as, as we pray in our Sunday services, do you check out? And is that the time when you check Facebook? Are our ministries saturated with prayer? One of the things I enjoy about our house community is how when we gather together, prayer is the first thing we do. And if we're part of house communities or discipleship groups or gatherings and prayer is not a strong element, friends, let's repent of that. And let's be a praying people because God has revealed that we are to be prayers. Secondly, we know that we are to be a people of obedience. Look at chapter 16, verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
So, so let's just be, be aware that often we can be walking along, we're looking at a decision, and there is a way that seems right to us. Yet if we turn down that road, our death is the destination. Well, what is it in Proverbs and then in the Scriptures as a whole that guides the man on his road to destruction. It is none other than sin. We see, we've seen this all through Proverbs, that when we are living a foolish life and we are walking the road to destruction, we are living a life of not righteousness but sin. God has then made it very clear in His Word that we are to be a people of obedience. That we are to find Christ to be a a wonderful Savior and, and to have saved us not by our obedience, but by His grace. By His grace through our faith, we are made right with God. And then from that place of mercy and from that place of His grace, we then just simply want to look more like Jesus. And we want to read His Word. And when we find something in His Word that conflicts with our life, we don't conform the Word to match our life, but rather we conform our life to match the Word. We want to be a people of obedience. We want to walk in holiness. We are not perfect people by any means. I often say this to our members. uh, None of you, none of us are perfect Uh, The mark of being a Christian is not that you don't sin, but the mark of being a Christian is this, is that you recognize sin and that you confess sin. So I love it when I hear people confessing their sins to each other. Like, oh my goodness, we are so (laughs) screwed up. Look at the grace of God that is just washing us and covering us. We are basking in it. So we are to confess our sins and His He is right to forgive us our sins and we are to be a people of obedience. So we crave, though, this this mystical sort of reality. We we, we want God to give us specific directions on the future. However, in the pages of Scripture, what God has revealed is that He's not going to tell us the future, but He has revealed this, that we are to be regenerated, that we are to be made new that we are new creatures in Jesus Christ, that we are to be obedient to His Word. He has revealed that He wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son. What else has God revealed? Also, He has revealed to us that we are to be a people in community. All right, chapter 15, verse 22. Look at it with me. It says, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. God doesn't want us to make decisions in a vacuum. God doesn't want us as individual Christians who are praying and who are seeking to live a life of obedience to then just sit in our bedroom and try to figure out all of life's decisions. But rather, those who seek counsel, and we can assume that he's referring here to the wise, right? Those who seek wise counsel, those who seek godly counsel as opposed to foolish counsel are those who often find that their plans succeed, that they do well in life. All right, let's think about our our parents, Adam and Eve, as they fell. What did they do? They listened to foolish counsel. The serpent came and he said, "Did, did God really say this? Did God really say that you would die? And they listened to foolish counsel and they made a very foolish decision, which has forever turned the course of humanity. We are to be a people then of community. We come together in our house communities. Well, get your house community together. And and, and let's talk. Let's talk about decisions. Uh, Without counsel, we fail. However, many who have godly advisors succeed. Lastly, we see that we are to be a people of careful thought. We are to be a people of careful, careful thought. Go, go to chapter 30. I, I want to show this to you. Chapter 30 in Proverbs, verse 25. It says, The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Now, ants are these little creatures that don't have a whole lot of strength. 
All right, so this whole, this whole section of Proverbs right here, it's, it's about how, uh, how basically these little small things in life just put us to shame, all right? This is basically a backhanded way to say, you guys are just foolish, all right? I want to preach these four verses again someday and call it ants, badgers, locusts, and a lizard. It's this uses these four insignificant small creatures to show us how foolish we actually are. But think of an ant, all right? This, this little creature, not very strong, all right? A five-year-old can step on an ant pile and kill probably, probably about, um, I don't know, 50 or 100 with one step. They're little creatures. Yet, it says, they, they, they plan. They provide their food in the summer, which means that they're, they're storing up their food. They, they know that some difficult times are ahead, all right, a.k.a. winter. And so they are storing up their food, planning for a time when they're not going to have so much food, which means that ants have this sense of planning. Think about this. This sense of God-given intuition. They know that there's going to be a dry season coming. They're not going to be making as much money then as they are right now. And so let's go ahead and take a portion of what money we have now and set it aside so that way we will be able to provide. This is just this is wisdom. Right? This is an example of wisdom. My point here is this, is that God has given us an intellect. God has given us what we could call common sense. God has given us uh, the ability to think and friends, these are not unspiritual things. I think sometimes we want to be so spiritual that we set aside thinking. We set aside reason. We set aside like careful planning and, and really gathering information and really making a, a well-thought decision because if we do that, well, then maybe we're not relying on Jesus so much. And so let's just set those things aside. And now what we are going to rely on are, are, are our feelings. I feel, I, I feel that I should do this. Well, what do you think? That's what I'm concerned about. What do you think? So, so God has created us in his image. God is an image of intellect. God is an Im- in his image. He has careful planning. He, he is very well thought. And so it is then uh, existing and operating in the image of God when we think deeply about the decisions that we must make. So let's bring all of this together now. And I want to bring this back to decision-making. Let me give you one statement to chew on. When you're facing a decision, you don't know, you've got three or four options maybe. You don't know which one to take. What's the right decision? Don't ask God for direction. Ask God for wisdom. Now, because the first part of that phrase sounds like heresy to some, let me, let me explain myself. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 4, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. So don't lean on your ability to figure out God's will. Don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your straight, straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Well, this is largely an introduction to Proverbs, which is a book about finding the wisdom of God. God doesn't want us to know the future. God wants us to beg Him for wisdom. When it comes to decision time, two things that I want to pull out of this passage that can help us. Number one, where it says, trust not in your own wisdom. What this is saying is this. Don't believe that we can be omniscient. Don't believe that we can figure out all of God's mysteries. Trust not in your ability to figure it all out. We we as humans, we crave to be God. And part of this craving is a craving to be omniscient. A craving to have all of the secrets of God revealed to us so that we might know the future, so that we might never make a wrong decision. 
When it comes then to decision time, because we crave omniscience, we can often become quite demanding of God. And we might be demanding of God things that He may leave at this point in time to be a mystery. Craving direction then may be a lack of trust. Craving direction then may be a desire to know the future. Craving the direction then may be a fear of failure, a fear of making the wrong decision, a fear of not doing well. So, so we, we, we're not trusting in, uh, in, our, uh, in our own wisdom, but rather, what? We, we then lean into God's wisdom. We are leaning into the wisdom of God, Not asking him necessarily for specific direction, but asking him if he would in his mercy give us wisdom. Craving wisdom is trusting God. Craving wisdom is trusting God with our decisions and that he would help us to make right decisions. Looking for direction alone is just basically saying, whatever that spot is, whatever the, the dot is of your, of your will for me, that's what I want to find, and you need to, you need to tell me what that dot is. On the other hand, praying for wisdom is trusting God with the dot. It's saying, God, I, I am trusting that you hold the future. God has not promised that he would tell me exactly what to do. But God has promised that he would give me wisdom as I seek to make decisions. So, how do we then make decisions? Let me try to put all this together and create somewhat of a decision-making guide, if you would. Number one, gather information. Creating the image of God. Use your God-given intellect to gather information. Look at the possibilities. Look at the tools you might need. Look at the resources you may have or that you may lack. Ask yourself, how does this decision affect others who depend on me? How does this decision affect those who trust in me? How is this decision loving or not loving to others? Think. The greatest thing that evangelicals need to do today is think. We just need to start thinking. Gather information. Number two, think through any alternatives. Are there other ways to provide food for the winter? Are there options? What are they? How do they compare? Number three, pray. We are to be a people of prayer. Ask God to give you wisdom. Ask God to help you understand your own heart. Ask God to expose any sinful motives that there may be in you. Ask God to expose any fear of man that you might have that is, that is driving you toward one decision or another. Ask God to expose these things so that you might not be found in uh, making a decision based off of a sinful passion, lust, or desire. Number four, Seek wise counsel. If you have a house community, get them together. Put the decision out there. Not, not simply so they can tell you what to do, because that's usually what we do as well, right? People are like, Joel, I need to talk to you about my decision. They explain the situation to me, and then what, what they say is, so what should I do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you should do. No, we don't ask others to tell us what to do. Uh, we ask others to help us understand our hearts understand our motives, understand whether or not this would be a wise decision, understand what the best decision might be. Number five, we look for sin. And this is pretty clear and blatant. I mean, if it's a sinful decision, then this, don't do it, all right? If it goes against your convictions, well, then there you can scratch that one off the list, all right? However, if it's not sinful, if those around you uh, have, have helped you examine your motives and your heart. You've thought through information. You've thought through alternatives. You have enough information to make a decision. You know what the next step is? Make the decision. You make a decision. Listen, you are free to make the decision. But you may finally ask, What if it's the wrong decision? 
right? This is what I would have asked when I was 18. I, I hear what you're saying, but what if it's the wrong decision? What if it's not the best decision? What if I'm, in some way, as much homework as I've done, I'm, like, I'm not seeing, seeing this correctly? How do I know that this decision won't ultimately, in some way, ruin me? Well, here's the answer. For those who are in Christ, God is clear regarding your destiny. In Proverbs 28.18, let me turn one last proverb here. 28.18, turn with me if you would. It says, whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, or the one who walks, whose walk is blameless is kept safe. Which means the blameless one, the one who is walking with no sin, will never make a decision that will ultimately ruin them. This is the promise that we have here. Now, problem. Who of us is blameless? Who of us can say that we are freed from any kind of sinful tainting of our decisions? Who of us can say that we are completely objective in the way that we see the world and sin is no longer a, even, a, even a temptation for us and we are blameless and we can just make every decision and know that we are good to go? We're not going to end in ruin because we are... Who is blameless? 497 years ago, a guy named Martin Luther kicked off the Protestant Reformation with largely this realization. He saw it in Romans 8. You don't have to turn there. Just let me read this. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4, it says this, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He commanded sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Well, what, does, what is that saying? What it's saying is this. As we see here in Proverbs 28, that those who are blameless will be kept safe every step of their journey. Who are the blameless? What we see in Romans is that Christ has come. He has lived the one blameless life. The life that I should have lived. The life that you should have lived is the life that he lived, the blameless life. And the righteousness of Christ or the blamelessness of Christ through his death on the cross as he forgave our sins, his blamelessness was then exchanged for our sin. We took his blamelessness and those then who are in Christ are counted by God as blameless. This chapter of Romans 8 goes on and it finishes with this climactic assurance for all of the blameless, not in and of their own righteousness, but for all of the blameless who have trusted in the blamelessness of Christ, the work of Christ, for all of the blameless, they have received this promise. All things work together for good. All things work together for good to them who love God. Proverbs, 8, or Pro, or Proverbs 28, the one whose walk is blameless will be kept safe. Romans 8.28, those who are found in Christ are blameless and all things for them will work together for good. Which means that for every single person in Christ, you have a happy ending already written in your story. God has a good ending for you. Are you in Him? Are you in Christ? We cannot stand before God with our blamelessness. But oh, the forgiveness of Christ that we receive on the cross. We can then stand before God not because we are blameless, but rather because Christ is righteous. Are you in Christ? Have you called on His name? Have you received His gift of salvation? Have you received the blood of Christ and found forgiveness in Him? If so, you have the assurance. You have the assurance that your sins are forgiven. You have the assurance that, that God counts you righteous in Christ, but you also have the assurance that every single decision you make in life will in some 
way lead you to ultimate redemption. The experience of life as we live life is often uh, an experience of, of, of taking a step in the dark. We, we, we're not sure. It seems like the best step. At the end of the day, there's a, a sense of we don't know. We don't know. There was a song that I used to sing growing up in the church that I grew up in. The chorus went like this. It says, many things about tomorrow. I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. You see, as we face decisions in life, and as we take these steps in the dark, we find as we look back, that God has orchestrated every single one of those moves. And we can look back at the tapestry of our lives and we can see exactly why God took us there. We can see exactly how, even when we slipped on that step, that God somehow used that in our life for good. How God has kept us the entire way as we walk through life God, God has not uh, promised that he will illuminate the future for us. But he has promised that we can trust him in the dark. Don't ask God to tell you the future. God doesn't want you to know the future. but God wants you to trust him with the future. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the decisions we make in life, let us think about your uh, providence, your sovereignty, your goodness. Help us to make wise decisions. Help us to lean into each other. Help us to run from evil. And let us trust you with all of the unknown. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.